please pray with me. God of grace, let the words that are spoken and the words that are heard be blessed by you, the living word. Amen. The year I started seminary, I quit my job in time to leave a couple of months free in between work and school so that I've had extended time for a vacation and for making that transition. One thing I did with that time was pack up my car and drive to the East Coast and turn around and drive back again. On the way back, I stopped in Minnesota to pick up my sister, and we shared the road trip from Minnesota to California. At one point I was driving, I can't remember where we are exactly, where we were exactly. I'm not sure what we had been talking about, but my sister said to me, tell me again why you believe in God? I no longer remember what my answer was at that time. I hope I made a halfway decent witness for who God has been to me, my sense of God's role in my life. Just before the Easter season ends, the church has a traditional observance of what is called the Ascension of the Lord. The author we call Luke, who wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, actually gives us two stories that describe Jesus being lifted up to heaven before the eyes of the disciples. The fact that the same writer tells two very different stories reminds us that we're not looking at a literal description of some specific event. Instead, we are being told a timeless truth. When we don't see Jesus walking with us, we remember that instead, Christ is present with us through the Holy Spirit. The authors of our New Testament scriptures, authors like Luke and Paul, had been entirely clear that Jesus was resurrected. And yet, for decades after Christ's resurrection, no one had seen Jesus around. So the story of the risen Christ's ongoing life became a story about Christ's eternal presence alongside God and Christ's gift to us of the Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit who would be our companion and comforter and empowerer forever. So that's what we take from the church's tradition of marking the ascension. We embrace the knowledge that Jesus Christ's presence is with us today in spirit rather than in flesh. But that's not my primary interest in today's scripture. I'm always interested in what scripture has to do with my life. And in today's scripture, it's verse 8 that answers the question, what does this have to do with me? In verse 8, Jesus says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Christians sometimes talk about what we call the Great Commission. A commission is a charge to carry out a particular task or responsibility. So the Great Commission is a church jargony way to talk about the charge Jesus gives to his disciples in the final two verses of Matthew's Gospel. So these are Jesus' parting words. He says this, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations,' baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. 
Because these are Jesus' parting words to his disciples, many Christians understand this instruction to be Jesus' most central instruction to us. Many people think of this as a clear summary of the ministry Jesus invites us all into. But there's another version of a great commission. Back to today's reading. Many people say that this eighth verse, this verse I'm focusing on, serves as Luke's version of a great commission. In other words, verse 8 in this first chapter of the book of Acts is Jesus' most central instruction to us in that view, a clear summary of the ministry Jesus invites us all into. So here again is Jesus' charge to us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. What does witness mean? Several dictionaries give the primary definition of witness as being a person who sees an event take place. But I'd say that being a witness, simply seeing or experiencing something, is rarely relevant unless there's a reason to tell what you've seen. Certainly that's true for a witness in court. My American Heritage Dictionary seems to agree with me. It gives this as the primary definition of witness. One who can give a first-hand account of something seen, heard, or experienced. This is what Jesus is asking of us in charging us to be his witnesses. Christ is asking us to give a first-hand account of how we have seen or heard or experienced God in our lives and in our world. My hope is that every one of us here will take this charge seriously, this charge to give a first-hand account of how we have seen, heard, or experienced God in our lives. A trend in mainline Protestantism through the 20th century was to increasingly see our faith as personal and private. Many good Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and others stopped telling stories of our faith, stopped giving our firsthand account of our life experiences as they related to our faith. We tell stories Storytelling is a powerful aspect of human nature and every human culture. We easily tell the stories of adventures, whether large or small. We tell stories about our children and our grandchildren. We recount memories of our childhood. We tell about that irritating thing that happened when we were at the grocery store last week. But we are not so much at ease with telling the stories of God in our life giving our own first-hand account. This doesn't mean that we are not deeply faithful Christians. Mainline Protestants in general, and liberal Protestants in particular, care deeply about putting our faith into action, about following in the footsteps of Jesus, and serving the world for the sake of collaborating with God in God's work. We know that it really matters that we walk our talk. But I want us to believe that it also matters that we talk our walk. To talk about the trend towards seeing faith or religion as private and personal is to make generalizations. 
But this trend is so widely recognized that the 2008 General Conference of the United Methodist Church changed the membership vows in the United Methodist Church. For decades, those brought into membership in any United Methodist Church promised to faithfully participate in the ministries of the church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, and our service. Some of you will know or recognize those vows. But for some years now, new members have promised to faithfully participate in the church's ministries through their prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. And even if it's been many years since you made those promises we make in membership vows in the United Methodist Church, you have affirmed the promise to faithfully witness if you have been here to participate in a baptism or a reception of new members here in recent years. Because every time we baptize a baby or receive new members into the church, we all together reaffirm our own commitments to faithful participation, including now through our witness. Storytelling serves so many purposes in human community. It helps us make sense of what happens. It builds and deepens relationships as we come to know one another's experience and feelings. It shapes community identity as we learn more about what we share in common. What happens when we don't tell our stories? It can be surprisingly easy to forget things that we do not put into words. It's one thing to say that faith is personal or private, but how well do we really remember and explicitly remember to notice God's presence with us if we shy away from talking about it? I don't want us to forget. Jesus' charge to us to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth is the polar opposite of thinking about faith as private and personal. Imagine ourselves sharing to the ends of the earth. It has this generous, expansive feel to it. But sharing to the ends of the earth is not where Jesus would have us begin, it seems. Jesus starts out with the instruction to be his witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the location of the temple, the central location for worshiping God. Jerusalem was where many events took place in the lives of Jesus and his disciples. So that's how we start. We start in church, where we worship God together and share our faith. We start where we already are. We practice with each other. Then Jesus asks us to be witnesses in all of Judea. There are a couple ways we can think of what Judea is. One is that Judea was sort of the surrounding area, those places that are relatively nearby. Another way to look at it was that many of the disciples called Judea home, some place in Judea. So perhaps this is an invitation to be witnesses for Christ at home or in our existing relationships, those places and relationships close at hand. That doesn't sound so bad, right? Practicing giving our firsthand accounts of times when we have seen or heard or experienced God. But then Jesus challenges us more deeply, as Jesus was known to do. Jesus throws Samaria at us. We remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. We remember that it was a big deal to answer the question, who is my neighbor, 
by telling us about a Samaritan. It was a big deal because Jews carefully and intentionally kept themselves apart from Samaritans. Jews judged Samaritans as less than worthy. So really? We're going to tell our first-hand stories of God's presence in our lives? These stories that we may have habitually thought of as personal and private? We're going to share these stories with people we didn't want to associate with to begin with? That is a tall order. But you know what? So much about the Christian gospel is about reaching out beyond our comfort zone, in particular reaching out for the sake of caring for and including those who have been excluded or looked down upon. So there you have it. We are called to tell our stories, even to those we are uncomfortable with. And if we can do that, well, then there's no telling what we can do. There's no stopping us. If we can share our firsthand stories of experiencing God in our lives, even with Samaritans, if we can do that, we can probably reach to the ends of the earth. After all, in the spirit of Methodist founder John Wesley, the world is our parish. I don't know if you have a sister who might ask you, tell me again why you believe in God. Or maybe it's a son or daughter or a friend or a neighbor. But there will be some invitation, some opportunity from someone who cares about who you are and what makes you who you are and what motivates you to do what you do. Those are the invitations to tell the stories of how God is at work in your life with those people who care who you are and why you do what you do. So my invitation to you is first to reflect on those things and consider what you might say if such a question were posed to you. How have you experienced God? How have you experienced God's grace or forgiveness or healing or hope? How has God stirred in you a passion for justice or a heart for service? I would also encourage you to tell the whole story. Witnessing isn't about having a right answer that we give, certainly not a formulaic answer, certainly not imagining that we come from a place of certainty. Telling our stories means telling the truth and telling the whole story, which means sharing our doubts and our questions our sense of wonder and awe that might not be easily put into words or made concrete. Remember, we're witnesses for Christ, not instructors, not debaters. We're sharing our firsthand experience, which is what witnesses do, not making a demand upon someone. We can use our I statements. Here's one example that comes from John Wesley. This is a little piece he wrote in his journal that will be familiar to many of you. He says, In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. What might your version of that kind of story be? I dragged myself to church on Sunday even though I didn't feel like it. 
and in spite of myself, something touched my heart, and I was better able to get through my week because of it. Who knows what your story might be. If God has enriched your life, if your own faith and your participation in Christian community has made your life better than it would be without those things, then you have a story to tell. If your earnest efforts to be your best self, to make a difference in the world, come from knowing that God loves you and loves this world, then that is your story to tell. You have a story that just might make someone else's life better, that just might help enrich someone else's life. When you've received that kind of enrichment and blessing, don't you want to share it? Let us practice being Christ's witnesses. In other words, let us practice giving our first-hand accounts of how we've seen or heard or experienced God in our own lives. Amen.